Welcome to the Sharkpreneur Podcast with Kevin Harrington and Seth Green. Kevin Harrington is the inventor of the infomercial, one of the original sharks from the hit TV show Shark Tank, and has generated over $5 billion in TV and digital direct response sales. Seth Green is the world's first trusted authority on cutting-edge direct response marketing, a best-selling author, and the only three-time Marketer of the Year nominee. On the podcast, Kevin and Seth interview sharkpreneurs who share straight talk on what it takes to explode your business. Why do so many businesses struggle while others seem to explode overnight? Do you wish you had the secret to this type of exponential growth? Now, I've scaled more than 20 businesses to over $100 million, and it's not just luck. In my new book with Mark Tim, Mentor to Millions, you'll learn the repeatable framework I use in all my business ventures for massive success. Order at KevinMentor.com and get over $1,000 in bonuses. Head to KevinMentor.com. Welcome to the Sharkpreneur Podcast. This is your co-host, Seth Green. With me, as always, is the inventor of the infomercial and the original shark on the hit TV series, Shark Tank. Kevin, thanks so much for being here. Hey, Seth, great to be here. Let's uh, kick it off. We've got a great guest today. So Absolutely. Today, we have the good fortune to be interviewing Jordan Harbinger. Jordan is a Wall Street lawyer turned podcast interviewer and many other things that we're going to talk about in just a minute. His show, The Jordan Harbinger Show, was selected as part of Apple's Best of 2018. I'm sure he's looking to climb further up that ladder in 2021. Jordan, thanks for joining us. Hey, thanks for having me on. By the way, any opinion on when it's pathetic to keep saying best of 2018? Is it like, do I have like four years or do I just keep rocking it? Well, listen, we were in the top, we were named the top six to listen to in 2019 and I keep quoting that. So yeah. Well, okay. All right. So I'll quit a year. Be- well, tell me when you're going to quit and I'll quit a year before that. How's that? There you go. So Jordan, how did you get started? How did you go from Wall Street attorney to podcaster to everything else? Yeah. So the reason I started podcasting was because I was doing, well, first I, I was always one of those kids who could sort of take the geometry test after remembering we had one and then going like, Oh crap, Timmy, give me your notes and pouring over it for 15 minutes. And so my competitive advantage in high school was always, you know, Hey, I'm not, I'm no genius. Don't get me wrong, but at least I can sort of figure things out on the fly. But then I got to college slash law school and it was like, everyone was really smart, smarter than me or as smart, whatever. And I knew I had to switch competitive advantages and outwork them. So I started studying, um, go figure. That's a good strategy for excelling in, in school. So I started working, uh, 10 hours a day, whatever, studying 10 hours a day. And then I got to Wall Street and it was like everyone was smart and everyone was working 16 hours a day, seven days a week. And I thought, I'm going to get fired. You know, they're they're going to figure out that I'm the guy who like can't adapt quickly or can't figure this out. Now, 2020 hindsight, it's imposter syndrome where you just feel like you're the one guy who slipped through the cracks and they're going to fire you the second they find out you're this big fraud. Uh, that was probably what a lot of that was. Uh, some of it was healthy, though, because I probably, you know, I was a new associate. You're you're an overpaid secretary at that point. But one of the partners told me that the best way to make partner was to just bring in business for the firm. He's like, don't worry about being the best guy in the office. Don't worry about building the most hours. Try and bring in business and then you'll make partner faster. And he was one of the youngest partners in the firm and never in the office. So that made sense to me. And the reason he was never in the office, I later learned, was because he was always out generating business. And I said, well, how do you meet your billable hourly requirement to get a bonus? And he said, I don't really worry about it because if I get 5% 
of a deal that I bring in and I bring in four deals a, a year and each one's, I don't know, bills a million dollars. I don't really need to get a billable hourly bonus that is, I don't know, 2% or something of the deal, all the deals that I've worked on. It's in exchange for like tire, you know, 80 hour, 100 yeah, hour work weeks. So it just didn't make any sense. And so he told me that I had to learn how to network. And I went to all these networking courses and it was just like, you know, look him in the eye and have a great handshake. And I thought like, you're not getting a million dollar deal from Goldman Sachs. It's it's not the handshake, man. It's because people like somebody else better. But why is that? Nobody can answer me that question. So I started learning psychology, body language, fundamentals, just from first principles, got asked to teach that at Michigan Law, where I was uh, a student, just like as a tiny little club elective, not as a any kind of real teacher. And I realized that People show up to class, they don't listen. So I started burning the little talks to CD, handing out the CDs, eventually lamenting that it was getting inefficient burning CDs. And then somebody told me about podcasting. That was 2006. Fell in love with the medium, thought this is just like a radio show, except I can do it in my basement with no pants on, you know, and a drink in my hand. So, so you know, let's have at it. So I started then and I really never looked back. I didn't think it was going to become a career or anything. Hey, but let me ask you, you you've... You've been called the the Larry King of podcasting, also. Yeah, I, I I know Larry, and God bless him. He just passed. But how, how did that? Was that because of the number of podcasts you were doing, or the Hollywood celebrity types you were doing? I mean, and, and by the way, I just want to add something to my question. You know, I, I I was just checking to see what you've been up to, and I said, did did you actually interview Frank Abagnale at one point? Yeah. So Frank, I had a couple of years back, and Maybe. if people if yeah, he's amazing. If people don't know who he is, he's the basis for the movie Catch Me If You Can. I think your audience may or may not know. You know, if you're that into him, you, you, they probably know. But he's great because now he's he turned all of his evil sort of skills of imp being an imp a fake lawyer, a fake doctor, a fake pilot, uh, among other things, and a check forger. Now he works with the FBI trying to help catch scammers. And it's yeah. probably a good thing he's on our side now. I, yeah, I think I did an infomercial with him. And so I guess when you're doing folks like that and, I, you know, Kobe Bryant's amazing folks, th th this is how the Larry King came about. That's, that's pretty cool. Yeah, I think so. I mean, I, I originally, funny story about that. So originally I was being written up in, I think, Inc. Magazine or something, and they called me the Charlie Rose of podcasting. And I was like, oh, that's great. I love Charlie Rose. And then like a year later, I'm sleeping at night and I get a phone call at 3.30 a.m. I ignore it. I get another phone call at 3.30 a.m. I ignore it. And then I'm waking up and I go, wait, oh, this is my writer buddy from, he lives in France. Why? He knows it's 3.30 in the morning. I answer the phone thinking he's in jail or something. And he goes, you might want to change the by the byline that says Charlie Rose of podcasting. <laughs> you know, Google Charlie Rose, uh, like me too or something. And I was like, oh no. Ooh. So I wrote to the author of that ink piece and I said, can we pick another personality that doesn't have a scandal? Because I know I'm never going to live down the Charlie Rose of podcasting in jokes. Right. So he goes, how about Larry King? And I said, yeah, that's fine. I like Larry. He's a good guy. So they swapped it out. It, it, it like, you know, five o'clock in the morning, Pacific time in the middle of the night one time. That's a much better story after hearing it than, than yeah. I even expected. So yeah. <laughs> I love sure. So 11 million downloads and counting. How have you grown the show? So the best way to grow a podcast is there's a couple there's a couple legs to this table slash stool. I haven't decided if it's a table or, or a bar stool yet. Um, one 
this is not going to surprise anyone, but you need to have really good content. And the reason isn't just because like, oh, good content goes viral. That's not really the case with podcasts. As you know, podcasts don't really go viral per se. They, they're harder to share. There's a whole bunch of reasons for it, but the reason is because of stickiness. You know, if you write really good books, people want to read the next book that you have. But if you write one book and it sucks, but the title's provocative, then you'll sell a lot of that book, but you won't have a you won't have longevity in your career as a writer. Same thing with podcasting. You know, you can be the guy who interviewed Elon Musk and he had, you know, a mental breakdown and said something horrific, horrifically racist on your show, and that episode will get a ton of downloads, but then you will see a return to baseline plus or minus a few hundred or even a few thousand listeners if you get that but you don't really want that right you want sticky content you want someone to get an episode that says hey you know you had uh colby bryant on and it was a good interview then i went to another show and i got frank abagnale and that was really good so now i'm just downloading all of them i'd like nine out of ten of them great show sharing it with my mom, sharing it with my sister-in-law. Like, that's how you start to slowly grow. But what a lot of people do with their show is they go, all right, how do I sort of, like, crap out 15 episodes so that I don't have to think about it for three months? And they do those 15 episodes in, like, two days. And the content's not that great. You can batch things and do well if you know what you're doing. But most people, they treat it like content marketing where they're like, all right, I need 40 blog posts. Hire, the, uh, hire someone who can just sort of barely functionally literate and have them write them and then run them through spell check and post them on the website. Nobody would do that if you were a blogger, but somehow podcasters, many podcasters and YouTubers find this somehow okay to do. So that's the first sort of leg of the of the stool here. The second leg is appearing on other shows. You know, if you appear on, I think when I first started the reboot version of the Jordan Harbinger show, I went on like 140 podcasts in six months, which was brutal. And I don't necessarily recommend that pace. But if you can go on, let's say, 50 shows a year, that's not even one show a week. You're going on a bunch of different shows. Each show introduces you to, let's say, a handful of thousand new listeners each time. A small percentage of those people convert and listen to your show. That's growth. You know, it's a slow process with podcasting because people are slow to convert, but they stay when they find something that they like. And I'm sure you've seen this as well. Like it builds slowly, but it's not going up and down and up and down like it would on a YouTube channel where you have a celebrity and then the week you don't have a celebrity, right? Nobody's listening or watching. So that's the second leg. And the third leg is paid advertising. And this is something that most people don't do and it's fine. I just started doing it a couple of years ago. You know, you get featured in apps, you buy ads for your show on other people's shows. They do well, you test them, you see which shows do the best, you dedicate a, unfortunately, very significant budget for this because podcast ads aren't cheap, as you know from probably selling your own ads on your own show. You, you've, you dedicate that and you can start to find out what works and you can start to grow pretty rapidly using that type of paid advertising. It's just that that's, that is the most dynamic channel, like that's the most scalable channel because you could... If you have a million dollars a year, you can grow really quick, you know? Um, if you have less, you grow slower, but it's 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 what you get it, what you're putting in, you get out, right? Whereas you can only appear on so many shows. If you did a, someone else's podcast every day, you'd go insane, you'd have no life. You can buy an ad every day. It just depends on your budget. So that's sort of the third and most most scalable element. But it doesn't make sense until you do the other two things first, right? You, you may be able to trade not going on other shows and just buy more ads, 
I don't think you should do that because you want to be well-rounded with this strategy, but you cannot ignore the content quality because then you're then you're buying ads and it's a leaky bucket right you're filling this bucket with water and by the time you walk back with it the holes it's your listeners are dripping out the other end so you're burning money so the trick is great content focus on that make sure your listeners are really happy and then you can add gasoline to the fire so jordan uh people ask me about podcasts and say should i do a podcast yeah. here you can make money doing podcasts and so um I, let's let, let me step back because I know one of the great benefits of podcasting is, is helping to build a brand and build a following, et cetera. The money side is much more difficult, right? I mean, you, you've got to get some real traction. You got to get, I mean, so it, it boils down to numbers, having, a, a, you know, enough downloads and stuff. But at what point can you actually start monetizing a podcast? Sure. So it depends. I mean, a lot of folks will say, well, if, oh, all right. There's a couple couple prongs here, as there are, usually are with things that I, with my answers I'm finding. Um, one is if let's say you've got a show and you've got 500 listeners or a thousand listeners or 5,000. That's fine if you're selling some kind of very niche course and there's not a ton of competition in the space. You know, if you're a landscaper and you have the build your landscaping business podcast and you've got a course that's like get your first hundred landscaping clients and it's 99 bucks. You can have a landscaping show with 800 listeners and you can be making thousands of dollars a month selling your landscaping course. What you can't do is sell ads for Blue Apron or some sort of food, you know, direct to consumer brand or like iPhoneCases.net or whatever brand. You're not going to make any money doing that because they pay 25 bucks CPM, which is for people who are uninitiated here, that's per thousand downloads. So if you have a thousand downloads of each episode of your show, and you get an ad for some sort of general interest thing like chapstick, you know, you're making 25 bucks an episode. It's not worth turning on the microphone. So when your show is small, you can sell courses and make it profitable. You can sell consulting, you know, you can generate leads for your law firm, that kind of thing. And as your show grows, then you have more flexibility. You can either sell ads as a value add to your show or if you get into a certain scale a certain level of scale like where i'm at right now with 11 million downloads a month i only sell ads i don't sell courses i don't sell consulting because that was a drain on my time i didn't enjoy it as much i'd done it for years and years and years and i decided i didn't care to do that anymore so I only sell ads, but I do, I'm able to scale, the scale of the show is such that that's the most lucrative venue. Now, can I sell a course? Yes, but I'm not trying to be like an uh, make money online guru or anything like that. And I, I kind of like it that way that I don't have to do that. But early in the game, the best way to monetize is to sell products and services of your own, ideally. Got it. What do you like best about what you're doing now? Your passion is obvious. Yeah. You know, right right now, I pretty much only read books and talk to smart people and answer fan mail. So one hour a day, I probably answer fan mail. Uh, one or two hours a day, I'm doing little tasks like, you know, booking guests, uh, thanking guests for being on the show, figuring out new technology, fixing something on the website, you know, standard sort of business operations. But then like two to three hours a day, I'm reading which is great. You know, I'm walking outside in the sun here in California, reading an audiobook or sitting around reading somewhere. That's great. And then for and three times a week, I'm doing an interview with somebody else that's about 90 minutes. Uh, and I have my Feedback Friday, which are advice shows. So people write in and ask questions, anything from how do I get a negotiate a, a raise at my job to, 
crazy family stuff that's just wild like you know my mom tried to kill my dad stuff like that i get all these wild things so i answer those so it's a pretty good balance right i i'm not flying all over the world taking meetings in conference rooms i'm not spending a lot of time in air-conditioned hotel rooms you know looking out the window wishing i could get outside I'm really reading books and talking to smart people and talking to the listeners of the Jordan Harbinger show. And that's, that's pretty good. I mean, any job where you can get away with putting on pants less than 50% of the time is probably a, you know, pretty good look by, by age 41 here. And I've got a kid, he's 19 months old. I plan on having more kids. The last thing I want to do is scale up the amount of work that I have to do in order to maintain the business. And I see this with a lot of people who run successful companies or unsuccessful companies for that matter, they spend so much time working in the business and even on the business that they don't even seem to really be enjoying it. And they can't take breaks because they've set the business up such that the wheels fall off the second they take their hands off the steering wheel, if that makes sense. It makes total sense. Yeah. With all, uh, we know your time's incredibly valuable. We got a few minutes left with all sure. Oh, sorry. With all your success, what's your biggest challenge now? Biggest challenge now, I'm, I'm. well, look, I'd love to be able to go take a vacation right now. Uh, depending on when you're listening to this, it's not really possible, especially with a baby. Uh, not a good idea. Uh, for me, I'm working on scaling up the, the size of the Jordan Harbinger show because, you know, a lot of people go, oh, so you can get bigger guests. I don't really worry about that so much. Honestly, right now... Uh, <sighs> This is, what's the term? I think it's called a flywheel where like the workload yeah. stays the same. Am I getting that right? Yeah. The workload stays the same, but the results are increased. And that's where I'm at right now is working on building, if you say building the flywheel or spinning it faster, whatever the metaphor is here. Because if I can, let's say double the size of the show, then I could theoretically work half as much and be making the exact same amount of money. Not that I would actually do that because I've got a little streak of workaholic in me for sure, but I'd like the option, let's say in five years, to work one third or one fourth as much as I am now and be making, let's say, twice as much as I am now. Because what if I want to take entire months off or summers off and fly with my kids and go to Africa and do safaris or do you know look at the pyramids in Egypt instead of in a book? I want to be able to do that, not be going... Uh oh, I've got to, I have to do this and stay here and manage, you know, you guys go along without me and I'll meet you for two days and fly home early. I want to be, I want to also be able to retire because I'm not, um, I'm 41 now, but I'm under no illusions that podcasting is going to be around in its current form in let's say like 20, 30 years. It's been great the way it has, and it's rapidly changed in the last 10 to 15 years there's going to be large companies that come in, people who with greater talent that come in. Um, algorithms are going to come in and change things. Platforms can change. I could miss the boat on all that. I need to be able to retire if I lose relevance or just can't compete uh, because I'm tired and now 25-year-olds who can stay up all night are dominating podcasting. I need to be able to leave the space if that happens. And you can't do that if you've set it up such that you're making you're barely scraping by because every cent you you buy, you know, you're spending a dollar to make a dollar too. I need to be spending a dollar worth of time and making five dollars, and then stay banking all that for when the time comes where they go, "Hey, Jordan, your services are no longer needed." I'm self-employed, but the market can do that to you anyway, right? Absolutely, um, we know and, your time's incredibly valuable. Yeah. Where is the best place for us to send our folks to listen to you? Sure. The Jordan Harbinger Show is the name of the podcast. I'm also at Jordan Harbinger on Twitter, Instagram, uh, or people can add me on LinkedIn. I'd love to hear from people. And I'd love check out episode one, Frank Abagnale. It's got the uh, 
Carrington seal of approval here. So hey, hopefully I that's have, good I, enough. I, I need one last question, though, sure. George. Tell me what you think if Clubhouse is affecting plus or minus this podcasting world that we, we all are in. Sure. So actually, I don't think Clubhouse is going to disrupt podcasting. I think it's going to disrupt Zoom conferences. I think it's going to disrupt conference calls uh, that are like those, not not like the business ones, but the ones that are those events where they say like, come watch uh, Kevin Harrington talk about doing this. It's like, well, no, we don't need to watch you do it on Zoom if we don't want to do that. We can do that on Clubhouse now, and maybe that's easier for everyone. It's lower bandwidth. Maybe the video feed doesn't make any sense. Maybe people are driving again at that point and commuting clubhouse may make more sense but clubhouse isn't doing much to podcasting and i don't think it will because you can't download clubhouse talks uh there's not the same quality of host and guest that you're getting it's not edited they're recorded on airpods there's a lot of key differences that people appreciate about podcasting like podcasting is like a production it's almost like art in many ways clubhouse is just a conversation that is social and there's power to that but it's not the same product where where clubhouse is damaging any sort of podcasters are the kind of kind of the shyster guys who are like hawking stuff that have podcasts now and they're hawking stuff on instagram lives and they're hawking stuff here and there those people may leave podcasting for clubhouse because engagement is higher for like financial gurus and folks like that but i think the majority of actual podcasters are not going anywhere i just think that it may take the lower end like almost the bottom of the barrel crusty podcasts uh out of the game and yep. those people may just switch to clubhouse and be done with it gotcha. awesome well this has been seth green and kevin harrington for sharkpreneur with jordan harbinger of the jordan harbinger show make sure to check him out everywhere jordan thanks again for joining us thanks for having me on guys hey jordan good seeing you buddy take care thank you you too good luck guys see ya do you need money to fund your idea product or service are you ready to take your business to the next level but need capital to get it done Kevin Harrington has heard more than 50,000 pitches and knows how to help you make the perfect pitch to get the funding for your entrepreneurial dream. He's distilled the process down in his perfect pitch cheat sheet, and it's yours for free. Just text PITCH to him right now at 727-888-2100. Text PITCH to 727-888-2100 right now and claim your free perfect pitch cheat sheet. Text PITCH to 727-888-2100 to start funding your dream today. This show has been produced by Market Domination, LLC. To discover how you can have your own show completely done for you and turn it into a real published book and become the authority in your marketplace, go to www.marketdominationllc.com slash podcast offer. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.